Well, 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 here we are at the end of the line. Can you believe it? (laughs) Our fourth and final episode of David Pays My Rent is upon us, and I, for one, am very happy to see it end. Although I probably can't say as much for David. If somehow this is your very first time listening to David Pays My Rent, I implore you to stop listening right this very second and go start at episode one. It will all make sense. But for my real fans who have been with me since day one, hi mom, I am so excited to have been on this 84-minute journey with you and counting. That's right. We have been through so much together. We've met my old, lovely neighbors. We've joked about pizza with Mitch and Avery. We've laughed, cried, and clenched with Joni and Julia. And now it's time to close this veritable fairy tale of rental madness. In today's episode, we'll hear the firsthand account of a story ripped from the pages of the notorious tabloid, The New York Post. It's Nancy! Ooh, ooh. You got the Nancy out with your favorite host. She's the one with the greatest most. Oh, it's Nancy! Ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah, it's Nancy! Ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright, all kidding aside, I need to issue a real disclaimer for today's episode. Today's episode contains not only a lot of explicit language, which all of my episodes usually do, and as you'll notice, I've never issued a disclaimer for that. Um, But today's episode specifically includes descriptions of some very morbid scenes. Um, So if you or anyone around you is a bit squeamish or feel triggered by such topics, I encourage you to maybe sit this one out or come back in in 20 minutes because I've got a lot to say at the end of this episode. Um, However, if you have the stomach for it, I encourage you to stick around. All right, you still with me? Cool. So let's get into it. We've spent the past three episodes listening to interviews recorded in 2018. And I'm sure that we can all agree that it's been fun taking a trip down memory lane. But the world pre-COVID just feels so unrelatable right now. I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone in having that moment of existential angst when I see people on TV without masks in a densely populated room. Clearly it was filmed before COVID, but I can't help but think, what the fuck are you doing in there? Put your mask on. (laughs) Well... I am bringing you a story today that is so COVID-19 that you're going to feel like it's April 2020 again and you're leaning out your tiny New York City apartment window, banging on pots and pans to thank the essential workers. Oh, the early days of Quar when we treated others with kindness and said things like, when this is all over without a hint of irony. We were so naive back then. All right, so put on your N95 masks and rubber gloves because we're gearing up for the last time. Let's get going. So do I do first, last name? Is that is that appropriate? First name only? Whatever information you feel comfortable sharing. I doubt many people will listen to this podcast, but if you only want to say your first name, that is perfectly fine. Awesome. My name is Nicholas Tucker. My social security number is... Um, uh, no, so my name is Nick. I uh grew up in Arkansas and moved to the city, uh, New York City, about nine years ago for my first master's degree. Um, I've always lived in Harlem ever since I moved to the city um, and have had lots of like different roommate stories, different roommate situations, um, but have been pretty stable for the past like three, four years with the same roommate. Um, actually, no, we've been living together like, so we started out as friends with benefits and then just decided to just be friends who live together. Um, it's been excellent. 
Usually it goes in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's a little surprising that it didn't. Some quick context here um, on how I know Nick. So Nick and I are both currently attending Columbia Business School. He's in his second year and I'm in my first. Uh, Nick was assigned to me on my very first day of school as my peer advisor. So I've pretty much been taking his advice and following him around for a few months now. And we've also actually dabbled in some other creative pursuits through CBS Follies, which I highly encourage everyone to go look up after this. Um, But that is not the point of today's episode. Today, he's here for something entirely different. In true 2020 fashion, this whole exchange was recorded over Zoom. So please forgive any audio blips. I have brought Nick here today because when I told him about the premise of this podcast, he got very excited and said that he had a story I, to share. I do have a story to share. And I feel like this is one of the like quintessential New York stories. Um, and for reference, like like I said, I've like had lots of different we- roommate situations, like lived in a four bedroom apartment with six people. That was a lot. I've had bed bugs twice, but this is like by far the most harrowing story that I've been through in New York City so far. I don't want to like cut off your possibilities um, because these stories are always fun to tell. So I, I want to set the date. So the date in question is April 30th, 2020. In the depths of the coronavirus pandemic. In the absolute depths. And my roommate is a doctor. So my roommate is like working all the time and just like dealing with dead bodies constantly. And I'm just like sitting in the apartment eating Cheetos. I have nothing else to do. Artificial cheese snacks are the only way to get through quarantine in New York City. (laughs) Don't sit there and pretend like you didn't go through the artificial cheese phase of quarantine. This is a judgment-free zone here. Let's let the man eat whatever he wants. The date is April 30th. And so for some context around here, also, like like I mentioned, I was a a first-year student in business school. April 30th was our last day of classes for the year. So... All of the clusters around campus were um, like, we're planning like our end of semester celebrations that are gonna be like online and awkward like Zoom with 70 people where we're all drinking White Claws and listening to two people have a conversation. So um, I so I finished up my classes for that day around like noonish and decided like, okay, I need to go to the grocery store and get some White Claw um, or another sort of hard seltzer if by chance they were out of White Claw. So as I was leaving, I noticed that the door of apartment 5C was slightly ajar. Oh, how intriguing. (laughs) If you're like me, if you see your neighbor's door ajar, you take it as an invitation to try to peek into their apartment and see if it's larger or nicer than yours. But Nick wasn't taken by the same urge because the neighbor in question has always been kind of off-putting. I'll let him describe her for you. Not particularly unusual. I had never interacted with this neighbor before. Um, I had seen her and like we had passed each other in the hall. She was like very, very quiet. She was this short, stout black woman with like gray hair. Uh, Sort of like um, if you picture Professor Sprout in your mind and then make her black, that's what this woman looked like. Um, Or if you already pictured Professor Sprout as being black, you were right on the money. So I noticed like the door slightly ajar but didn't really think anything of it and just went down. Um, So whenever I'd interacted with this neighbor before, it had always been like we'd never spoken. um, And I had only ever seen her early in the mornings or late at nights. 
Um, and I just thought she had a crazy job. And whenever she saw me, she just looked terrified, but I normally had my dogs with me. So I just sort of assumed she doesn't like dogs. Not that unusual. She always like just tried to quickly skirt around me whenever she saw me. As someone who is not a dog lover, I'm very familiar with that maneuver. It's you have to do it respectfully, but I get it. I understand the vibe you're describing. I don't even know that I want to continue this podcast. <laughs> I know. I try to hide this about myself. It's not something I like to lead with, but I felt I could relate to something. I, I appreciate I appreciate that. So I go down to the grocery store, I grab some white claw and make my way back across the street. And so I get off the elevator. Um, and apartment 5C is right next to the elevator. So this is where the woman lived. And I see a man that I had never seen before. He had a mask on, um, but he was outside of the apartment pacing, um, like clearly in distress because he had like his, his, his hands were like, or his fingers were like laced together and he had his hands behind his head. Like when you like see someone who's like run too much and they're like desperately trying to get breath, they like put their hands above their head. So like he was like heaving and trying to get breaths in. And so immediately upon passing him, I was like, oh shit. He walked in and found his mother dead. Cause I knew she was older and I was like, oh my God, not only is COVID like right next to me, she died in her apartment and her son just found her dead body. This is horrifying. Um, so like, I, I don't know how to deal with that situation. So I was just like grabbing my white claw headed back to my apartment. You're like, I just realized something extremely morbid. My only option is to get obliterated on Spike Seltzer. Exactly. Like, what else could I do? But I did notice as I was like passing him, the apartment was now wide open and there was garbage everywhere. Oh, so she was like a secret hoarder. Yeah. So she, yeah, she was a secret hoarder. Did it have a smell? Yes, it smelled fucking awful. So like now, like not only did her apartment smell awful, so the entire floor was starting to smell awful. So I was like, oh great, perfect. Like dead mother, possibly decaying in the apartment. Plus she was a hoarder. Like this just, this is the gift that keeps on giving. So I, I just bypass him and head into my apartment. And then I start hearing a lot of people come off the elevator. Um, and so I'm not quite sure what ha what's happening. So I like, get up, sort of look outside because I assume it's like maybe like EMT coming to like get the body, but it's not the EMT, it's police. And it's a lot of police, like not just like one or two, but there's like eight police people there. And I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? So I am not sure. And so I just like, just like, I think I, I think I went down and like asked, cause we have a, we have a, a lobby attendant. So I like, I was like, why are all these police here? And, and she said, oh, you didn't hear? And she's Eastern European, but I can't do an Eastern European accent. So please imagine all of this coming from a heavy Eastern European accent. And I was just like, no, what happened? And she said, oh, so when her son entered the apartment, apparently they had been estranged. Or at least he wasn't visiting her. Who wants to visit a hoarder? Nobody. No one, I can attest. <laughs> exactly. It's That's why I have no visitors. I mean, you're looking at my closet. <laughs> so COVID has been perfect for you. <laughs> Amazing. Apparently he had been estranged from his mother, but she had died actually. He did not walk in to find her dead body though. She had been in the hospital and had passed away. Of COVID? 
or just during COVID? I'm, I'm still not sure. Like no one's ever like clarified that for me, but she had passed away of something. Um, I assume it was of COVID because. What wasn't COVID on April 30th, 2020. Exactly. Apparently he hadn't visited her apartment in like something like 10 years. So he had come in, she's a hoarder. Um, but upon entering her apartment, one of the first things he noticed when he went into her living room was like one of those giant deep freezers. Like that you like have in the suburbs for like all your frozen food. And you're out back and you're like very uh, like homoerotic, like man cave vibe. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's like full of nothing but like burritos, frozen pizza. And it opens from the top. <laughs> it's got that like, like that, um, like that rubber seal that just like. <laughs> It's so satisfying. I love that rubber seal, by the way. Um, my parents now have like a deep freezer out in our garage back home in Arkansas. And so I love going into it. Like hashtag this is 30. So apparently upon entering this apartment, he had noticed there's a giant deep freezer in, and like no New York City apartment has a deep freezer and certainly not in your living room. Like that is not an appropriate place for a deep freezer. But it wasn't just any deep freezer because it was taped shut. Like duct tape all around it, making sure that like, you didn't accidentally open this thing. And so here is this poor guy walking into his dead mother's apartment and he sees this giant deep freezer that's taped up. And of course, like, you've got to clean out the apartment. You, it's your job. And so he's like, guess I got to see what's in the deep freezer. And of course, like at this point, like anytime I see someone with like a taped up deep freezer, like, you know what's inside. Like, you may not want to know what's inside, but you definitely know. Everyone listening right now knows what's inside. Exactly. So, of course, he opens up said deep freezer, and there is a dismembered body inside. Dismembered? I It was dismembered? I found this out when a policeman came by to, like, ask me if I had seen anything. Um, but the body had been in this deep freezer for so long, they could not tell the person's race. They could not pe- tell the person's gender. The only visible characteristic left on this body was some red hair. What? So this body had been in this deep freezer for a long ass time. They couldn't tell the gender? They couldn't tell the gender. Apparently when your corpse is left to the elements, your genitals just go away. Either that or they chop them off. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, where, I don't know where they made the dismemberment cuts. Oh my God. That is, when you told me they found a dead body, not what I, I was expecting, like a vampire standing up in a coffin and it just sort of fell out, which also is amazing comedy. But <laughs> some might argue better comedy. <laughs> oh my God. So it was like in pieces wrapped up like Robert Durst style. Yes. Oh my God. Red hair. That's all we have to go on. Red hair. That's all we had to go on. So, and of course, like, I like I can't help but, like, put myself in, like, this guy's situation. Like, how, like, you haven't been to, like, your, like, your mother's home in a decade. You are walking in. You find a dead body. There are no answers here. Like, why did my mother have this dead body? Did my mother kill this person? Was my mother a crime lord? Was my mother hiding this for a crime lord? on behalf of what is this he walks in finds this immediately freaks out 
as one does. Honestly, like in times in life to have like a, a, a like visible emotional breakdown about something, this, this fits. I, th- I think it's an appropriate reaction. It tracks. Um, so he, of course, calls the police. And then for like the next two to three days, um, the police are just swarmed in the bil- building. There are like eight police on my floor at all times of day. And of course, like going in and out, they're on the elevator. And of course, like the worst part of this is that they've left the door open because they are taking out evidence. So there's, they're bagging up evidence, leaving it in the hallway. And of course, like, as I mentioned, she was a hoarder. So this apartment smelled and it like smelled so strongly, the entire building like stank. I, there are 10 floors in my building. It is not a small building. You could smell it in the lobby of the building that like something was happening. And then of course, like I'm on the actual floor. So even worse. And then of course, like the police are going around and like, that's how I found out about the victim because cops were going around knocking on doors saying like, did you ever see anyone coming or going from this apartment? And I was like, no, really the only person I ever saw in, in that apartment was the woman who I assumed to be the only tenant, the like short squat black lady with silver hair. And they're like, so you never saw anyone with red hair in, that, in coming or going from this apartment? And I was like, no. I never saw anyone else coming or going from that apartment. They were like, did you ever speak to your neighbor? And I was like, no, she always acted like very timid and sort of scared. Like she didn't want to interact with anyone. Now we know why. Imagine like being invited over, like your new neighbors. Oh, come over for a meal. Don't touch that. (laughs) This is the table. Also the Or or she uses it as a dining room table and she puts a, a cloth over it. I mean, if I had a deep freezer in my living room, I would do that too even if it had a dismembered body. It's the only, like, do you think she would sit, you know how like people in New York don't have dining room tables because their apartments are too small and they sit on their couch and just eat. Do you think like this, it was her coffee table and she just eat off this freezer every night, like watching TV? I mean, all I can say is I hope so because like murder might be forgivable, but inefficiency, I can't be down with that. But energy inefficiency, this thing must've been sucking up electricity like nothing else. Right? Because because deep freezers are not energy efficient. They take a lot of power. Also, like, I, I can't imagine, like, the wiring in New York City is set up to provide that much power to a single appliance well. It was in there for so long that they have no identifiable race, gender slash sex, slash, like, dental, like, nothing. No fingerprints, anything. So she was keeping it there. Like, there clearly was no plan to get rid of this. Yeah, I mean, and by the fact that, like, she never told anybody. I mean, it's just like, because you typically like think of like when people have these like horrible, dark, harrowing secrets, they sort of confess them on their deathbed to get it off their chest. Like, no, she just went straight to the grave. She's like, nope, coming with me. <laughs> went straight to the grave, straight to the freezer. And her poor son, who obviously they had a weird relationship, but like, this is the memory that like he associates with his mother's death. Not like cleaning out the apartment and finding old things from childhood. Like, no, no, no. There are no, there are no like precious moments of photo albums. There are corpses and freezers. He clearly needed therapy before this because he was estranged from his mother. But now it's like a whole new ball game. Yeah, can you just be imagine like the like I bet he like didn't even like talk to his therapist in the email. He just like forwarded the the like New York Post article and and his therapist was like, "Tell me when you're coming in." Yeah. Or imagine like he's never been to therapy and it's the first time he's ever seeing a therapist in his life. He sits down. He's like, "So." My estranged mother died. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. 
And I found a dead body in her apartment when I arrived. <laughs> Not her body, to be clear. It was another body. And so at that point, I just think the therapist would be like, so twice weekly sessions sounds like what we're in, what we're going for. Or you know what? Um, I don't think I specialize in what you need. <laughs> <laughs> just be like, I can't, I don't have, because also this height of COVID, I'm sure they were just like, I don't have the emotional energy for this. I am so sorry. I know you need someone. That someone is not me. <laughs> At that point, the police, like a policeman came by and like asked some questions, but nobody had any answers. And they, they asked every single person in the entire building. Um, and then reporters started coming by and they're like, what can you tell us? And it was like, I can't tell you anything. Like she never talked to anybody. She was weird. For the first time in the nine years that I had lived in New York, I was just like, I think I may need to like take a break. And then I went home for two and a half months. Upon coming back to New York City, the apartment is still closed off. Like the investigation is not over. So there's like a green sticker between like the door jam and the actual door. So that, that's from the NYPD. So they would be able to tell if someone like broke the seal and tried to go in. And so like the apartment is, is still sealed off and I've heard nothing else dead bodies and that sort of thing. Like you think like law and order SVU and you think like there are these passionate detectives out there trying to get this person justice. And I don't know if like the, the detectives investigating this are passionate or not, but I, I do think it's like something that it's like, if someone has been gone for 10 years, there's nothing to match to them. There's nothing like, who was that person who died? Maybe just like a homeless person, a transient person. No one knew to look for them. No one even noticed that they were gone. And this was their end. And I think like it's almost a little sad. I mean, it's actually more than just a little bit sad. It's like sort of harrowing. It's just like this person died, who they were, the life that they lived, what happened to them, no one will ever know. Because I feel like the only person who probably knew died as well. She died when she died in the hospital of COVID. The only link to who, who this person in the freezer was is gone. And so it's just like, there's just like this weird sense of mystery that like, I feel like incredibly saddened by, like the person who died, because it's just like, they were a real person, they had a real life and maybe it wasn't a great life, but who knows? Like they've literally just become no one. It is deeply unsettling. Yeah, and it's weird to think like how easy it is for that to happen. Like, Cause I, I, I think like we, like a lot of people have that thing of like, oh, if I were to like not show up for something, like people would put out like a report, someone would call police. Like, I, like there are people who would be looking for me. And I think like the fact that like, I, I don't think anyone was looking for this person. Have you thought about going in and breaking the seal and just? Absolutely. Are you crazy? Of course I want to do that. I'm also like terrified because it's just like, if you also think about it, it's like this entire apartment full of like a hoarder like can't be cleaned up now. It's just like in there decaying. Oh, oh. Maybe you can put in an offer to building management for the apartment super low. It, like, could you live in that apartment? Would you do it? Like if it was like a great deal, like what? I think it's probably like a, actually I know what line she's in. It is a three bedroom apartment and probably close to like 1500 plus square feet. Hold up, this woman was in a three bedroom apartment and the freezer was in the living room? So if it's, I think so, yes, yes, yes. I bet the next person who lives in that apartment could get it for like 
2100 because real because realtors have to tell you they have to tell you when you see the apartment they're like so well, rent i don't think for renters it's whoever purchases the apartment i don't think the renter needs to know are you sure i would almost be positive if they have to tell you if bed bugs have been in the apartment i feel like they have to tell you that like a dead a dead body in the apartment and so and then like of course like whoever is like doing this is just going to be like oh did they die of covid and they're like no they were dismembered and kept in a freezer we actually have no idea how they died or when they died. Or who they were. <laughs> but they were here for a while. Also, I love, like the classic New York City thing being like, well, I bet now the apartment's available. Like the property is for sale, right? <laughs> Honestly, if you want more information, Nick, you should just go to your building manager and say like, I'm kind of interested in purchasing that apartment. What's the deal? And then they might be able to give you some sense of what's going on with the police. Maybe I should switch the focus of my degree to like focus on real estate management. Uh, yes, yes. I bet you could steal that apartment. You could get it for free practically. I have thought about like potentially like making an offer because like I'm sure that they're going to have to like slash the price of that apartment to eventually get anyone in there again. And the apartments in this building are rent controlled. So if I could like sneak in there with a low ball offer, just like slide it, slide into like the, to the death. The death, the death dungeon. Um, like maybe I'm okay with that. So, so I think the real question is, is like, what would the price have to be for you to move in? Um, okay, three bed, fifteen hundred square feet, um, pre-war apartment building, doorman, um, decent sized bathroom, good sized kitchen. I imagine there are some renovations that need to be done. Can I put laundry in unit? You might be able to. I mean, if it could support a deep freezer, I, maybe. <laughs> washer dryer hookups the same as the deep freezer hookup <laughs> that corpse was my neighbor for three years i had no idea and honestly they were a great neighbor quiet respectful so maybe like the ideal new york city neighbor is just a dead corpse oh man i mean look if that's not a new york story then i don't know what is but in true david pays my rent fashion we can't just leave it there. Let's pause for a moment and reflect on what we can glean from this interview. I know that this may seem like an odd note to end this epic podcast journey on, but if you stick with me, I promise you'll see the point. First, we've confirmed the age-old stereotype that all New Yorkers have an almost sickening fixation on everyone else's real estate. We are, at our cores, nosy little assholes who just want to constantly be reassured that we're getting a good deal on our tiny shoebox apartments. I'm sorry if you thought that our discussion of the apartment's value was a bit distasteful, but we were just saying what you were all thinking. Second, within all the jokes, there was a salient moment of reflection. Nick is completely right. In addition to death, <laughs> there's a lot of sadness that stems from this story, and it's sadness that comes from the loss of human connection. We have the neighbor herself, who is estranged from her son, which is very sad, but then we also have the victim whose story we'll just never know. A life that's been taken seemingly without notice because there was never a moment to pass on a story, or in this case, a confession. <laughs> but if I've learned anything from this podcast journey, besides how to operate a microphone and an elementary knowledge of GarageBand, what what? It's that just because we have walls that separate our apartments doesn't mean we live separate lives. Whether we realize it or not, our stories and lives are intertwined with those of our neighbors, our doormen, our supers, 
even the person who wrote the completely exaggerated post on Street Easy advertising our apartment in the first place. Especially in the past year during the pandemic, there's been a lot of hating on city living with, by the way, completely unfounded declarations that New York City is dead. That is not true and never will be. But still, I can totally get where these arguments are coming from. In the face of a rapidly spreading and mutating virus that made us stay indoors at all times, we were forced to examine those indoor spaces. And willfully living in a place that's more densely packed than plague-ridden Europe of the 14th century is an obvious non-starter. Nearly everyone I know left the city in a mass exodus to upstate New York to live out some internet-enabled agrarian fantasy. And while I didn't do that, in full transparency, I'm hardly exempt from the group of people who chose to leave New York City. In search of more spacious pastures after my lease came up in March, I moved back home with my parents to the suburbs. But in my exile from the greatest place on earth, hidden away in my parents' beautifully manicured and isolated fortress, I gained a new perspective about what was so amazing about New York City living in the first place. Of course, everyone's going to say that they miss the restaurants and the nightlife and the museums and the shows. But really what I missed and what I think is irreplaceable about living in a city is that you're part of something much bigger than yourself at all times. And it's up to everyone there to make it a place they want to live. You're sort of forced to have this perspective that you're not the most important person in the world, in the room, on the subway. You're just part of a larger group of people. And I'm sure at some point during this entire podcast journey, I have mentioned that I am a student of improv. Stick with me. (laughs) In addition to giving me the ability to make conversation with a wall and survive some pretty terrible first dates, improv gave me some very valuable life lessons. For example, before my team and I used to perform, we would pat each other on the back and say, I've got your back. It was a very silly pre-show ritual. But it was very important because in that moment, even though I had no ideas, I had no idea what words would be leaving my mouth in the next 30 minutes, I did know that everyone around me would be taking care of me because I would be taking care of them. They were counting on me because I counted on them. And in that, we knew that we would succeed. And that constant reciprocal back having, as we like to call it, is exactly what makes cities work. When you live in a city, you're constantly interacting with people who are unlike you, who come from different places and relate to the world differently. And in those moments where your lives cross, be it in the elevator, saying good morning to your doorman, going to the bodega, buying a bag of chips when you're a little drunk, (laughs) in those moments, you're forced to think about those person's actions and how they affect your life and in turn, your actions and how they affect theirs. And isn't that something? The fact that we are constantly responsible for each other's happiness. These moments of human connection are really what make the city the place we want to live in. And the true tragedy is when that human connection is lost. So yeah, this podcast took me four years and change to make, and no, that wasn't intentional. But I think it's kind of poetic to have had used the time of extreme isolation to build a body of work that's entirely reliant on human connections. 
Okay, I'm going to wrap this whole shebang, all four episodes up with a single word. Sonder. Sonder is a made-up word from the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which is a collection of words to describe emotions that do not have a descriptive term. You always hear about these words in Japanese and German that very accurately describe a full litany of emotions all in one. And English does not have many of those. So someone went out and made them up. And they made up the word sonder. Sonder describes the profound feeling of realizing that everyone, including strangers passed on the street, has a life as complex as one's own, which they are constantly living despite one's personal lack of awareness of it. So essentially, the person you pass on the street is living out their own story, and you're just a little part of it. And in that moment, you realize that they have just as full a life as you do. So as you walk on the street with your face covered in your mask, your ears plugged with your headphones, and your eyes trained on the ground as any good New Yorker does, I encourage you to look up into the endless sprawl of rectangular windows and experience Sonder. Imagine the lives that are unfolding in each of those homes and think to yourself, I bet that's a story that would make a great episode of David Pays My Rent. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) All right, on that very sincere note, I breathe (sighs) The sigh of relief of a woman who's just come into three months of rent. How you like me now, David? Hey! (laughs) All right, to each of the guests who were generous enough to give me their time, their stories, and their trust, I would like to extend my sincerest gratitude. I hope I did right by you and your stories. But for all of the voices you heard, there was a veritable army of people in the background who helped me craft this idea, and I'm going to list them all now. Here comes the thank you train. First, to Ellen, my sister who brought David into my life by meeting him, dating him, convincing him that our family wasn't crazy, an elaborate ruse that I think he has probably figured out by now, and marrying him. Thank you for your contribution to this podcast, Ellen. (laughs) Second, to the big man himself. David. You made this bet because one, I bet you probably didn't think that I would make good on it. (laughs) But two, you also knew that I had this little creative spark and a lot of energy that needed to be pointed to something other than my job. Um, And you wanted to encourage me to follow it. And I really appreciate that because I honestly probably wouldn't have done so otherwise. So that's the real prize to me. In addition to three months of rent. Thank you for that. Don't forget it. Um, I'm going to speed things up now. To Michelle for lending me your podcast mic four years ago and being very cool about the fact that I pretty much stole it from you and never returned it. Call me. To Rich Smith, who is the incredibly talented artist who made all of the beautiful graphics you see on the site and my iconic cover art. Everyone should follow him on Instagram. I'll put the details on my website. And to the Creative Brain Trust, whom I consulted frequently in the past four years about this specific project and who make me laugh all the time, which really is the best part about having friends, if you ask me. So, thank you to Brooke Schnabel, Joni Thompson, Elizabeth Bitz Nicholas, Simon Gibson, Chris Parker, Dan White, and many, many more. All of you have helped me so much and have been very generous in letting me talk about this all the time to you, even though it took four years to make. And with that, I'm going to answer the question on everyone's mind Is David actually going to pay my rent? 
To that I say, how dare you talk about money in public? That's very unladylike. Um, but in all seriousness, I don't really care. Um, if you are asking that question, you clearly have not been getting the point of this entire podcast. I wanted a reason to joke around with my friends. And the way I did that was by finding out a little bit more about them and where they call home. And so thank you for letting me into your homes these past four episodes. It's been a wonderful experience. So with that, signing off for the very last time, I'm Nancy, and this was David Pays My Rent. It's Nancy, ooh, ooh. you got the Nancy out with your favorite host. She's the one with the greatest most. Oh, it's Nancy, ooh, ooh. oh yeah, it's Nancy, ooh, ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha, 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 ha.